Hello, folks. This is your host, Tammy Turner, and you are now listening to the Tierra Talk Show. We bring you rare interviews with the makers of Disney magic. Whether they be singers, actors, imagineers, animators, they've all made their mark on the Disney name. To find out more about the show and other episodes, head to our official website at www.thetierratalkshow.com. Be sure to look below at the show notes in the show more section for links to our Twitter and Facebook pages, including videos and websites mentioned in the following interview. Photos and audio clips that are featured in the show belong to their rightful owners and are used for educational purposes only. All guests' opinions are theirs and theirs alone and do not represent the opinions of the Tierra Talk Show or the host. The Tierra Talk Show is not associated with the Disney Company. Thanks again for tuning in to this week's episode. And from all of us here at the Tierra Talk Show, have a hoop-de-doo day. Excited to welcome this week's Tierra Talk Show guest, writer and actor John Hoffman to the show. Welcome, John. Hey, Tammy. Thanks for having me again. Oh, it's wonderful to have you on the show. So today we will be talking about Disney Channel's first original movie called Northern Lights, starring Diane Keaton and also yourself. I was wondering if you wouldn't mind giving a brief synopsis of the movie for listeners who have never seen it before. Sure, not at all. Um, it's, uh, it's a movie that, um, it's a story about a woman who gets word that her brother has passed away and she arrives, uh, her estranged brother I should say, and she arrives up in uh, a little town uh, called, in our film, Bright River Junction (laughs) and uh, she finds a very unique and specific world in this town and also uh, many secrets unfold about her brother and one of the main ones is that uh, he had a son, a young boy, and actually has left co-guardianship of this boy with uh, his best friend, Ben, from Ohio. And surprising both of them, but uh, ultimately turning into the sort of the most redeeming life lesson she's ever had uh, through this boy and through what her brother left her. And, and it comes to a sweet resolve in the end. Um, but that's it's a sweet it's a sweet family story um, that uh, I wrote the first thing I ever wrote. And just a quick warning from here on out in this interview, there will be spoilers, listeners. If anyone can find this movie anywhere, copies on Amazon, eBay, and I did find something on YouTube. So, oh, and you can always pause this interview and come right back to me and John talking about the <laughs> film uh, when you finish watching the movie. Please go watch it. Uh, it's very, it's really, really good. From what I gather of researching this film, and there wasn't really a lot to find, unfortunately. I found a great review though from someone who said that y- this was originally a one. A man play. I had no idea. So, did this play have the same story and concept of characters? Yes, that is the most unique thing I would say about this film um, is that it started uh, as a vehicle for myself as a young actor in New York, and I, I figured I, w- I kept on getting cast in many off-off Broadway things right out of college um, that I ended up thinking were terrible. And I didn't even want to invite people to. So I took it upon myself. It was very much the thing to do back in New York in the day uh, to try and do your own one-person show. But I, when I started writing, I had this experience that I had had going up to White River Junction, Vermont, um, to do summer stock. And I, I arrived on a train in the middle of the night, and uh, it, I didn't know where I was. Um, I was going up there to do a children's theater program and I got off the train and literally no one was there to greet me. It was four in the morning 
and it was pitch black. I didn't know where I was, and a car turned its headlights on, and a one-armed man uh, asked me if I wanted a lift to the hotel. We drove around some hedges and arrived at the hotel that I was going to, and he asked me for like $5, and I was like, you're kidding me. We drove around hedges. And anyway, this whole experience of arriving there in this town and spending time in this town sort of informed of sort of, I, I then sort of put it through the magnifying glass a little bit and just made it just slightly more arch, I guess, uh, more eccentric. And um, that became the basis for the story of this one-man show, which turned into what I wanted it to be, which was a one-man play. And I had been very inspired by Lily Tomlin's uh, and Jane Wagner's Search for Signs of Intelligent Life in the Universe, um, which had just opened shortly around there. And that was my inspiration for what my little version of something like that could be and my first excursion into writing. And that I produced in New York. And then this is where it's a nice tie in, Tammy is that when I arrived in Los Angeles, it was only about a couple of months and I had not a dime to my name. And I uh, was very fortunately cast as the Mad Hatter on Adventures in Wonderland. When I was an actor back then to be told, uh, you're going to do a television show that has pretty much a guaranteed 100 episodes and it's worked for the next year and a half was extraordinary. So I started then plotting and putting in my bank account enough money to uh, hopefully produce, which I did in Los Angeles, this one-man play, Northern Lights. And I played all of the characters. I played Roberta. <laughs> I played Ben. I played the character I play in the film, Joe. I played the little boy. I played Daphne, the lounge singer. I, so it was a whole world um, that I was very proud of. We actually won... Um, that year's Los Angeles Drama Critics Circle Award for the best solo performance piece. Um, and from there, being in Los Angeles with a piece that people were talking about, I found my agent, um, and then all simultaneously, the director of uh, the stage play was my dear friend Kevin Kane, and he and I had been working on adapting the play with our producer Nina Sadowski, uh, into a screenplay that would include other actors. And so when I was performing the play in Los Angeles, we had that screenplay that Kevin and I had worked on and wrote. It was a bit of kismet and really the beginning of my writing career as far as feature films go, as far as uh, working in the industry that way was because Michael Linton, who now is the head of Sony, was running Hollywood Pictures at that moment at Disney. And he picked my script up, our script up, out of 30 scripts, I think, that weekend. He had not bought a single script, but he found this, and he said, this is what I love. And off of that began my screenwriting career, basically. The Disney Channel came along with Diane Keaton, who found the script. I'm telling the whole story, Tammy. Is this too long? No, no, not at all. I was actually just going to ask, Diane Keaton found the script along with Disney Channel? Is that how that worked out? It, well, she found it first, actually. Um, she uh, felt a very personal connection to it. Um, and uh, she... Uh, uh, yeah, she wanted, I think it was her mother, um, and she felt very strongly that she wanted to make the movie for her mother. And um, 
so she uh, really attached herself. She attached herself as a producer and as the leading actress, and it was a great working experience with her. Uh, and, and so from there, once we had Diane, we the Disney Channel said, well, we're starting up this original movie division, and we would love to put this all together. And that's how it happened. I first saw this movie, and I saw you, and I was like, whoa, whoa. That's John Hoffman. I know who he is. I was like, I'm going to watch this thing all the way from start to finish. And then I realized Diane Keaton was in it. I, I really enjoyed it, but I thought it was so weird because somebody put a pin on the nose. It was kind of like the start of a Twilight Zone episode, but it doesn't end up badly. The characters are just so well thought out and put together, and they're so strange. And it, and you're supposed to see it from Diane Keaton's eyes as the character um, mm -hmm. that they are all weird. But in reality, you know, a, a lot of us as human beings think that certain people, the way they look, the way they act are weird. But then we realize we're weird ourselves. And I feel like that's, that, that the film really took that and it did such a great job of telling that story. That's really sweet of you to say. Yeah, that, that was the intention from, from the beginning on this piece when writing it as a play. It was very much um, my experience. So it was one of the first times I had sort of ventured off on my own and into a town and into a situation where I didn't know anybody and I was living on my own and uh, in, a, in a strange place. And, uh, and, and, and the people in this town were particularly, a lot of it was inspired by this experience I had in the town. And it was just, whoa, there was a lot of deep, deeply strange little myths around this town and people around this town. And, and, and I, it was, I, I just thought it was one of those experiences where you look at it and you say, well, I'm just making the strangeness up in my head. And then when you finally connect and you finally see people for who they really are, then you're like, oh, I feel so much more comfortable. I feel so much more at home. And then I expected to. Um, and when it, when at first it seemed so strange and bizarre, um, you always find a way to, well, at least I found in that situation a way to adapt. So I thought, oh, I guess I'm, you know, just as strange in some way, just as you put it, which is true. What do you think Joe and the rest of the crew is up to now? Oh my gosh. I know. Right. It's, well, there, it's funny because, um, there was a lot of, when I did the play, uh, that part sometimes would get criticism, even though I loved that character. But, you know, he had a cleft palate, and it was part of the thing of sort of people all people who have their things that, you know, they would, they would say are, you know, their burdens in life. It's basically saying what many people have said before, which is that, you know, you know everybody has their thing, that they would sort of put up front as saying, like, this is, this is my insecurity, this is my thing that makes me most different and you sort of negotiate and deal with that how you will and as you're as you said it's right most of the people you meet in this town are dealing with it in a very positive way that character certainly is and there's a real gregarious uh sweet quality to that guy um and i think he i think yeah i think he went on to get married and have his own kids and he's happy as a clam at a barbecue still in bright river <laughs> and you pinpointed too like I remember the other scene that Joe has a lot of these truths underneath his scenes um, and I was I loved playing those scenes but there's the walk that he has with Ben who's the was the sadly passed away Maury Chaikin who was such a brilliant guy and actor 
Um, but he, he and I have a walk and we talk about the rat man and it's a very frank discussion from my end about who he is. It's like, Oh, but you know, it, 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 first time I saw him, I nearly, you know, uh, I forget what the line is now, but, it, uh, but he, he said, he talks about it just very frankly saying what we've all experienced, like, Oh my gosh, when someone takes you back, like, Whoa, that's a lot for that person to deal with. And then you can talk to him and you realize he's just like you and me, except he looks like a rat. Um, and, and that's where you're sort of like finding the humor in it, but also the reality, but also then underneath it is we're all the same. It's a very emotional film from the death of a parent to mental illness. There's a scene in the film where we finally meet the young boy's mother and we haven't seen her and Diane Keaton keeps asking over and over again, which I didn't really realize in the, when I first watched it the first time, but the second time around that she keeps asking, where's the mother, where's the mother? And finally the mother comes and mm -hmm. her son plays the piano and we realize that she is um, not all there. The little boy has an emotional time with that because it's his mother and he sees her as everything. And it was very emotional for me because it's just, it, it was so real. This film really set the bar for other Disney Channel films to be as real and heartwarming as possible. I've, you've always been so impressive to me. Uh, the way you look at material and, and can get inside it and, and you're speaking about it in a way that I would have hoped someone would have gotten just that out of it. Um, and, and yeah, it's challenging. It's more, certainly more challenging than <laughs> the Disney Channel movies that are, are happening now and that's okay. It's just where they are. It was very different time. This was a time when, you know, they were doing great series like Avonlea. It was family entertainment with, uh, with a grounded reality in certain ways, um, a greater depth, uh, and not so, sort of geared in, in the way that it seems to be now. It was a little bit of a different Disney Channel back then, but i um, grateful to have the opportunity to get to make it. Were any of the other alternative stories in this film based on something else that you experienced or maybe a friend experienced? Everything. Um, it's since it was my first writing uh, that I'd ever done for a play or a movie. Um, there were I, you know, you always call upon your own life. So yeah, there were there were definitely touches into my own life, mostly my own life. Little things, you know. I always missed my grandfather. I never got to meet him. He died about w when my mother was pregnant with me, and so I'd always thought about my grandfather in that way that Jack is on the roof thinking about his father. There were incidences with my grandmother at times when I was in charge. My grandmother had a little bit of a drinking problem for a while, uh, which she really conquered before the end of her life. But um, when she was drinking, I was uh, in third grade and I would go and stay after school while my mother was at work for a couple of hours every day with my grandmother. And sometimes she would have been drinking. And so I sort of became the parental figure in that uh, situation in third grade. And um, there was a moment where she uh, uh, walked into a swimming pool in her apartment complex and I had to pull her out. And so that scene uh, in the film reflects in a way that experience of mine. And, and sort of the embarrassment and why can't you keep this together and, and the public nature of it and the, the heartbreak of that. But, but then in, in his situation, of course, mental illness being the case, it was, it was even more challenging because it wasn't something that could be overcome in the way that my grandmother overcame her drinking problem.
Do you have any fun, funny stories to talk about? There was, it's so funny because um, I, I had been so nervous. There is a scene in the movie um, where, you know, I'm delivering some, the, the heftiest news to the two main characters after the funeral of their brother and best friend. We go up to the, basically the kindergartner's schoolroom for me to deliver the news of this will that their, their brother and best friend have left. And I, of course, have a cleft palate, and so there's all of these sort of... It's, it's a ridiculous scene where I'm laying information I thought they knew or would be more prepared for. And they, of course, were not prepared at all and had no idea about any of this possibility. Um, but that scene was so funny when we were shooting it because Diane is such a genius, you know, as an actress... She is just in it at 110% every take, and every take is different. And before the scene started, we were standing out there, and she was revving up, and she was in character, and I am there with my, you know, uh, easygoing, affable demeanor as Joe, sort of like just standing outside before we walk in there, and she's yelling at me. She's like, what's the matter with you? What are you looking at? What are you looking at? And she's getting me. I'm like, I'm not, I'm not looking at anything. I'm, I'm just, I'm, I'm here. I'm just. So we improved as we went in there. And each time we did it, it became funnier and funnier. And I, I, I found it harder and harder to get through the scene without a little bit choking back laughs myself. And I'm like, this is ridiculous. I wrote this. I did this on stage for how many years? And now I'm in the scene and I'm like finding it hysterical. And I've got to check myself. So there are a few times where it just became so ridiculous and to me and some improv stuff within that room and everything else. So it was really like a dream come true just to spend that day with the great Maury Chaikin and Diane Keaton in that room and just have that scene. It was a real treat for me as an actor. So I have three more questions left for you. I always ask my guests these questions. The Donald, Goofy, and Mickey questions. So as a child, what was your favorite Disney film to watch over and over again? Well, that, weirdly, the movie that I loved the most from Disney was Bedknobs and Broomsticks. I loved it. I, I was obsessed when I saw, I remember it was the first movie that I saw a trailer for that I got excited about that I built up till the day that it opened in my theater. And I couldn't wait to see it. That flying bed made me nuts. I was so happy to see that movie, the mix of animation and live action in that. That just opened my whole world. So that was easy answer is Bedknobs and Broomsticks. The goofy question is, what Disney character do you think would be your best friend if you met them in person? Hmm. <laughs> I would probably look after Dopey. Yeah, I think that would probably be the one I would sort of glom onto and just say, come with me, come with me. I'm going to take care of you. Don't worry about it. And our Mickey question is, if I asked you to name any Disney song at this very moment, what immediately comes to mind? Oh, that's so easy. It's my favorite. It's When You Wish Upon a Star. It's, so, it's my favorite. It's the most beautiful song. I mean, it's so obvious. I just love the message behind it. I love it. It embodies Disney in every way to me, that song. Are there any new projects that you'd like to tell listeners about so they can keep an eye out for them? Uh, well, I'm working, um, I'm working on a few different things. I'm working on an HBO show at the moment called Looking. Uh, well, there's an HBO movie that I'm trying I, I looks like it might actually get made in the next year or so called once upon a time in beverly hills look out for that one the other thing i'm working on is a project for dreamworks animation based on a 
a children's book that came out this year called Beekle, The Unimaginable Imaginary Friend. I love the project. Well, thank you so much, John, for coming on the show. It was great to talk about this film. You should be very proud because I think it does a very good job of handling certain situations, taking it ever so lightly, but still making sure that the situation is known. Thanks a million, Tammy. You're always the best. Thank you very much. It's sweet to talk about this. It's been so long since that movie. It's nice to talk about it. Life is to be self.